Jared, the heat is on the Bucks, and we've got Murray versus Mitchell Part 7 tomorrow. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Tuesday morning, everybody. A fantastic Monday night of playoff action in the NBA. I'm your host, Dave DeFore. I've got Jared Weiss right here, and Brian Smith is somewhere pushing buttons for us. Right off the top, we need to talk about Chris Paul. CP strikes back. The Oklahoma City Thunder defeat the Houston Rockets in Game 6 of their first-round series, 104-100. to Jared, that means we're getting a Game 7. And that's what we all wanted, as long as it doesn't finish the way that this game finished, because I can't tell if this was beautifully exciting or horrendously entertaining. Listen, this game was back and forth, and it started out extremely physical, as you might expect, given how you know Game 5 went between these two teams. Uh, it seemed like there was a little bit of bad blood, and that physicality stayed in this entire game. But these two teams were really, really close up until the end, and that's when everything just kind of went crazy. With about 5.30 to go, Houston went on a 10-0 run. The defense was just out of this world. They've been the best defense in the bubble so far. Eric Gordon sort of fueled that run. And Mike D'Antoni, in hindsight, might not have wanted to do this, but he subs in Russell Westbrook for Eric Gordon. And, you know, things don't necessarily go so well after that. Jared, it all started with the Chris Paul technical. And who would have thought that Chris Paul technical is what would have set the team straight and actually saved the season for them. But I mean, that was just such a ridiculous play by CP. And I feel like it did kickstart some of the sloppiness there because it created a bit of a sense of desperation. And we just saw so many ridiculous plays happening at the end. But there was just so much ISO with CP3 and he was doing his elite griftiness, drawing all sorts of ridiculous fouls, but he also, he did hit some huge shots there and he and Harden, they traded enough threes that, I mean, I feel like this was at least a satisfying battle, but then we get to the end and I mean, like you're saying about Russ, Russ, he goes out there and I can't tell if Russ was just not ready to be out there or if he just didn't have a feel for the rhythm of the game, but he made so many massive unforced errors at the end. He just looked really tight. He had a free throw line jump shot that he airballed. And I don't think I've ever seen Russ do something like that. It's pretty obvious that he's not you know, ready to be playing out there, especially in crunch time. Chris Paul hits two free throws after they go back and forth for the, the last four minutes or so. Chris Paul hits two free throws to get a, uh, a two-point lead with about 13 seconds left. And, you know, Mike D'Antoni opts not to go for the timeout. Westbrook takes the ball up the court, dribbles into, you know, the wall of defenders, and just throws the ball away with about seven seconds left. And that wrapped the game up. Gallinari hits a couple free throws, and that's all. But, you know, why isn't James Harden touching the ball more down the stretch for the Rockets? Because you have Russell Westbrook. And, you know, if Russ had a bit of composure in that moment, I think he would have at least slowed it down a little bit there, at least try to align with Harden and, you know, make a smarter play. But we saw Harden set a pick for him, and Westbrook took that, and he could have actually done some damage in the paint once he got there. But instead, he threw this terrible blind kickout pass to the shooter that he just missed by a mile. And I just still don't understand what he's thinking after watching it five times. Yeah, Russ is going to be the scapegoat for this game. But the actual goat of this game, Chris Paul, had 28 points. And single game plus minus, not a great indicator necessarily that a player is is doing well. They were plus 20 in his 40 minutes. 
No one else was even in double digits on that team. So Chris Paul really won this game almost single-handedly. Gallinari had 25, and he, again, kept them in it at times when their offense wasn't generating good looks. But this was all about Chris Paul tonight. He was pretty much spending the entire night in his bag. I mean, every single possession, it seemed like it was him trying to get the matchup he wanted, hitting them with a couple crossovers and then pulling up for mid-range. And it was just, it was so thrilling to watch Chris Paul, of all people, beating the Houston Rockets with mid-range pull-up jumpers. I mean, it was just the ultimate in basketball irony. Uh, But the funny thing was, I thought the best play of the game was his borderline pornographic step-back three over Robert Covington, where... He like it didn't even seem like it was possible for the ball to reach the rim. It just he didn't get that high off the ground. It had a very low trajectory. But CP, he just there's something about him where he's kind of like a golfer with great wrist hinge and like wrist action in the swing. Where it doesn't look like he's flinging the ball quite like high or far enough to get there, but it always clears the rim somehow. And he just did that over and over and over in this. These two are going to play Game 7 Wednesday night. Jared, this is a toss-up to me. This game was extremely tight, and and I know that there are some key plays that are going to stand out, but these two teams are about as even a playoff matchup as I've seen. Does that speak poorly for the whole theory that Houston could uh, be a title contender, or does that just show that OKC is for real? I think it's OKC is tougher than they got credit for, and and this is sometimes in spite of Stephen Adams not really contributing positively to them. I, I think maybe they need to explore a little bit more Nerlens Noel in the next game. He's been pretty good in this series. It definitely says more about the Thunder than it does the Rockets. The Rockets have been without one of their two best players for the entirety of the series, and now that he's back, he certainly looks diminished. So maybe this is a different series if Russ is healthy the entire time. But for me, Game Seven is a toss-up. Who would you pick? Hell, I mean, I'm finishing the game with Gallo so that I can get my best shooter on my roster, Lou Dort, out there in crunch time. But I'm picking the Thunder. I trust CP's closing ability over Harden's, and we're seeing that Chris Paul's just in his absolute rhythm right now. And you know, Harden and Westbrook, they're too mistake-prone. They're both guys that they launch too easily, and I mean, obviously, they're just so insanely talented that they do convert a lot of the time on that, but Chris Paul is playing with a level of control combined with his tenacity and his you know his persistence that is you know pretty much impossible to top and then Schroeder he he was he was huge at the end of the game too he made some huge plays good defensive intensity he had that move where he somehow got around like the entire Rockets defense and got to the rim with a minute left that was probably the shot that really kept them in the game so I'm taking OKC in this one well what about you Uh, I think I'm going OKC it just feels like it's going to happen The momentum is all on their side. In news, sad news to start with, uh, former Georgetown men's basketball coach John Thompson, a legend, passed away at the age of 78 today. Obviously, our condolences go out to everyone who is surely going to miss, you know, a, a legend, a giant in the coaching world. And I mean, the guy changed the NBA with the way that he coached big men in the 80s. And, uh, You know, very sad day. In lighter news, Brandon Ingram was awarded the league's most improved player. Do you feel like a guy (laughs) this early in his career should be considered most improved? Or uh, should we just say, yes, of course he got better? 
I love it. Uh, it's funny because there should be a rule that a top three pick is not allowed to win most improved player or really top five pick. And most of the time, I would say that's completely applicable, except for in this situation where Brandon Ingram had such a you know bizarre winding career so far for the second pick overall. And then you put him in a situation where he, I guess, no longer is in LeBron's shadow, plays with the ball in his hands, got a summer to really work on tweaking his game, and he didn't just become good. I mean, the dude scored 25 points a game, was one of the best spot-up shooters from deep in the league. He's you know turned into a bona fide all-star overnight. Uh, after last year, he was a guy that was, you know, I guess, kind of on the outside looking in on on being a rotation player for a playoff team. So I actually I, I would have voted for him if I had a vote too. So I, I liked him getting it. In a little bit of basketball media news, Vince Carter, former Raptor, Net, Magic, Sun, Maverick, Grizzly, King, and Hawk, most recently, ha- is going to be joining ESPN in what I assume will be a desk analyst job. Jared, is this going to be good? Yeah, Vince is going to be great. In some bad news out of Orlando, the Magic announced that Jonathan Isaac is out for next season. Uh, you know, he's going to. Have, uh, have a knee surgery and, and his rehab, so he's likely to miss all of the next season. But in lighter news, NBA players' families started clearing quarantine in the bubble today. Jared, we got some great video from Fred Van Vliet and his family, and I sort of feel like the Raptors are just going to win every game from here on out. It's a biological imperative that he wins every game from now on. I mean, the children, they're just so insanely adorable. How could you not immediately win basketball games? We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor. Live sports are back, folks, and it's very possible we might get an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure your Nuggets are as safe as possible if that matchup happens. Manscaped is here to provide the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes slash tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. Got to keep those nails in shape, guys. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the new and improved lawnmower, waterproof cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, which I personally love, and a travel bag so that when quarantine is done, you can take everything with you. Don't forget, guys, the Crop Preserver anti-chafing ball deodorant it is a game changer get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code the athletic 20 all one word the athletic 20 at manscaped.com get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code the athletic 20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code the athletic 20 take your grooming game to the next level In the early game, game one of the second round series between the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks did not go chalk. Jared, 115 to 104, the Miami Heat beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Jimmy Butler, there's no other way to explain the way he played than to say he embarrassed the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. I mean, he was dancing out there, right? It looked like he was just kind of in the groove. He looked like the way he was handling the ball, he looked like a B-boy that just laid down some fresh cardboard in in the Bronx in 1986 and was about to break out some moves because he just had this rhythm to him. He was just kind of sliding back and forth, carving his way through with grace. It was the most effortless attack I've ever seen against this Milwaukee defense. 
Yeah, 40 points, 12 of 13 from the free throw line. And that spells trouble for Milwaukee, who, you know, had Giannis and Brooke Lopez in early foul trouble. I mean, Giannis was out with about a minute and a half left in the first half with three fouls and really just didn't play a lot to begin the second half. Uh, he, he wound up with 37 minutes for the game, but he pretty much played the last 16 minutes to get there. And, and you know, you don't love that if you're watching the Bucks. You also don't love... 18 points from him and four of 12 from the free throw line. Something has got to give on the free throws for Giannis. I mean, Jimmy and Bam Adebayo, who only had two free throws, they had as many free throws as the entire Bucks team. And Giannis, you know, the thing that I was more concerned about even more than him missing free throws was that he was taking a bunch of threes that I don't think we're a good decision. There was a play that really stood out where it was a relatively close game about, I think, 535 left in the fourth quarter. The Heat switch on a pick and roll that he's running. Anytime they ever switch on a pick and roll, you should be trying to attack as soon as that guy tries to step in front of you and hope that he's a little off balance. Instead, he pulled up for three. And that's not in his game. That's a Chris Middleton shot. That is not a Giannis Antetokounmpo shot. It just seemed like he was so frustrated from the Heat doing such a good job loading up on him every time he tried to penetrate that he was settling for threes. And, I mean, that completely took him out of his game. We should note, George Hill got the start for Eric Bledsoe in this game. Bledsoe was a late scratch with the uh, hamstring awareness issue that he's dealing with. And... You know, that really cut into the depth for the Bucks. It was a lot of Kyle Korver and a lot of Pat Connaughton tonight, and it showed defensively. I mean, the Miami Heat had 42 paint points in this game, and that is not Milwaukee Bucks basketball. First off, I have absolutely no idea what hamstring awareness means. Um, second, points in the paint for the Bucks, 24. <laughs> Literally the opposite of what the Heat did. It was not Giannis. Euro stepping one step on, you know, first foot on the three point line, second foot on the free throw line, third foot landing on the baseline after he dunked it. It was not one of those kind of nights because, I mean, in transition, the Heat did a great job of protecting that shell where they get all their guys gathered around the top of the arc there. You got the guy in the middle, the other two guys out on the lane lines where it's too narrow of a gap and it's too high up for Giannis to be able to, you know, dance his way through it. And so Miami just did such a good job of being able to load up to him without giving up shots that were really compromising. You know, Brooke Lopez did get a bunch of those corner threes when they were helping out off the corners, but it wasn't enough that it hurt them really bad. And I mean, just look at the you know the pace here with the field goal attempts. Miami, they attempted 84 shots. The Bucks they shot 49%, which is good, really good, but they only took 75 shots. That's incredibly small for Milwaukee. Absolutely. And that, the key to the series for the Heat is to control that pace. The Bucks are monsters in transition. And as we saw tonight, I mean, 15 fast break points from the Bucks, but it never felt like they really got running. I mean, it, credit to Eric Spolstra designing the defense to get back early at the expense sometimes and sometimes not of working the glass. I mean, tonight, 12 offensive rebounds. Once again, this is not what Milwaukee normally does, but Miami putting the pressure on, getting those guys into foul trouble early, work to their advantage. I do think that one of the major focuses of this series should be the coaching matchup. And Eric Spolstra, to my mind, is one of the five or six best coaches in the league. And we know Bud is a great regular season coach. But in the playoffs, the tendency not to adjust 
hasn't really worked out for Buddenholzer teams. And we saw that with Miami's cutting against Milwaukee's drop coverage. What do you think took him so long to finally start switching that? I think that Bud, his approach is always going to be that we're going to play to our strengths and play to our identity as long as we can until we have to give in. And the problem when you do that is that, one, you're making it too obvious to your opponent what you're going to do and give Eric Spolstra some foreshadowing and he's going to take you know, clear advantage of you. So you don't want to do that against a coach like that, especially with a roster that he has where their roster is so dynamic. They can change up the way that they function pretty easily. And we saw we saw that where Goran Dragic, she was probably, I mean, he gets overshadowed easily because of what Jimmy Butler put up, but he played at an absolute star level in this game where he was super effective on ball playing that high pick and roll stuff, but he also was really effective off ball too. And I just think that Budenholzer, I feel like he tends to try to continue to stick to who he is and who his team is early in series and then eventually kind of give in. And at a certain point, you just have to be proactive. And I, I, I'm hoping that this game will be a rude wake-up call that will re- remind them that they have to be proactive. Yeah, it feels like so much of his coaching style is to trust the talent to win out, to know that your scheme is conservative enough that you won't give up too much but your talent should win out, and, and the Bucks have a ton of talent. But to a certain degree, you've got to be able to roll with changes when, they, when they're necessary. And this Miami Heat team, they can be death by a thousand back cuts if you'll let them. <laughs> and I thought that the Bucks did that tonight. Game two of this series is going to be Wednesday. And, you know, it's, it's probably too early to say it's must win. But, Jared, like, it feels like the Bucks probably need to win. Yeah, they probably need to win. And, you know, the thing is – just even going back to what you're saying about Budenholzer and his, you know, and his uh, philosophy, I guess this is the playoffs for one where you're not catching teams by surprise. Like the team is completely prepared for who you are and how your system works. And every system in the NBA, you can beat it if you have the right strategy and you execute well. And two, there's no home court advantage in this series. So, you know, you like you're losing a lot of the equalizers that help you win in the regular season and make you an elite team. So I, I really think that Budenholzer has to change his approach here. If he doesn't change it up, and actually, if he changes it up and the Heat still win, that is a lot more of a death knell than the fact that if he just doesn't change it up and the Heat still win. Big games coming up on Tuesday. I mean, every game is big at this point, Jared. It's it's the playoffs. We got Celtics Raptors game two at five thirty Eastern. Obviously, you cover the Celtics for us. What should we be looking out for in Game 2 of this series? The Celtics look like they can make a finals run. I mean, they were just incredible in Game 1. Yeah, I mean, this is we're going to see is Nick Nurse going to change up Toronto's half-court offense to put Pascal Siakam in a position to succeed. They use him as a post-up guy against the likes of Jalen Brown and Shemi Ojale in Game 1, and... The Celtics did a great job of keeping him from spinning baseline and trying to force a middle, and he couldn't do anything against it. He was like completely out of control going against that. And then, you know, Toronto's guards, they do a nice job attacking a pick and roll, but neither Lowry nor Van Vliet is shooting well right now, or at least they weren't in game one. And without that, the Raptors pretty much had no way to create offense in the half court and the Celtics were able to beat them pretty easily. So I'm expecting to see a lot of Pascal Siakam pick and roll, a lot of him attacking in isolation, anything to allow him to get that, you know, that head of steam where he can use his athleticism and size over the Celtics. But I mean, Dave, after seeing how well the Celtics are executing, even without Gordon Hayward out there, do you think that would even matter? 
I don't think so. If the Celtics are going to shoot like this, they could win this series in five games. I don't expect that, but, I mean, they shot the leather off the ball in game one. The late game, Jazz Nuggets, game seven, 8.30 Eastern. This is actually, and shout out to Brian Smith, the producer of the program for this little tidbit. This is the first midweek non-finals playoff game on broadcast television since 2003. Pretty incredible that it's been that long. Game seven, Murray, Mitchell, Jared, who are you taking? I mean, the first band of 50, right? So <laughs> Pretty much. We know we're going to have an epic shootout at the end. We know that Jokic is going to hit one corner three, and then Mike Conley is going to hit one three from the top of the key in crunch time. And then I think it all comes down to whether Jerry and Grant's three-pointer is going to be the one that wins it or if they're going to be down by four at that point. That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget all the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We've got all your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show, No Dunks. We've got House of Strauss. We've got all the team-specific shows from your favorite athletic beat writers, so make sure you check those out. Follow the shows that you like to listen to on the app. And don't forget, we've got podcast comments now. So go in there. We're constantly looking for good questions and, and lines of thought for future shows. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck. Get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus all the amazing writing across all major sports for a super low price. Get a subscription today at theathletic.com slash daily ding. You never know when these promos are going to end, so go over there now and sign up. Thank you guys for waking up with us. Jared, please take us home. Bling, bling. Bling.